Revelation chapter, chapters 5 and 6. You may want to mark that. And then also go ahead and find the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in uh, the book of Daniel this morning. And pr- uh, primarily chapters 12 and then some in chapter 9 as well. As we jump into what I think most people are most interested with when it comes to the study the prophetic study of the book of Revelation. Um, And that is basically the future prophecy, the things that have not yet come to pass. And so we've spent uh, a considerable amount of time, really the first, uh, almost the first four months now of 2021, uh, walking through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, as you guys know, probably could have spent much more time doing that. And so I'm trying to do my best to know when to kind of cut these messages off and when to kind of keep going. And, and so from this point forward, we're really going to begin diving into what I think, again, most people are most interested about. And not that, I mean, I think chapters two, three, four, and five are so very critical, so very important. I, I hope I've stressed that to you. And we're going to continue to draw from those chapters as well as we look forward now into what I believe is the future prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled in the book of Revelation, which basically is comprised of chapter 6 through 22, which is the end of the book. And so I thought it would be very important for us this morning before we begin jumping into the six, excuse me, the seven seals, the tearing of the seals in Revelation chapter 6, I think it's very, very important that I lay some groundwork. And so today we're going to really look at an overview of the seals. And the reason that I need to do this today is because simply this. Look, everybody approaches this book from, I mean, I say every, most people approach this book, this prophecy, from a different angle or a different perspective or a different interpretive method. Uh, There's really not a true consensus in the body of Christ about how to interpret the book of Revelation. I can remember when one of my good friends introduced the book to me, uh, I want to say oh, 15 years ago or so, not that I'd never heard of it, but just really kind of started studying it for myself. And I mean, I look back on that time and I started kind of going into my own personal study and, you know, thought I had some things figured out, you know. And now here I am some 15 years later going back through this whole book, going into a deeper dive. And I'm looking back on that and saying, man, I didn't have a clue what was really happening, what was really going on. And so as we study this book, we're going to continue to grow. And I could probably look up 10 years from now if I, if I were able to do this again, and I'd probably say, man, I, I didn't have it right then. Okay, so I just want to make sure y'all hear me and, and make sure we're clear that I am, there's nobody who has 100% correct, um, you know, theology. I mean, it's, it's just, and, and especially when it comes to uh, interpreting prophecy, which is probably the most challenging part of Scripture. However, it's a very important part of Scripture. You know that over one-third of the Bible, about 30 to 33% of the Bible, is prophecy. Amen. Future prophecy. That sounds like to me the Lord thinks it's pretty what? Pretty important, and yet, unfortunately, many churches neglect it um, because it's just kind of too far out there. There's many reasons why people neglect or try to stray away from prophecy. It, it, you know, you get labeled uh, into the kind of conspiracy camp or, or maybe these people who have made all these false predictions that never came to pass and then they were kind of looked foolish and people look at that and say, you know, I, I don't really want to look foolish to the rest of the world. And, 
And then I've had some pastors and friends in the ministry who are just quite honest with me, and they say, look, I just don't understand it. And so they don't understand it. They think that they can't understand it, so they don't want to turn around and try to teach something that they don't understand. And I think the bottom line, honestly, is that there's a little bit of intellectual laziness when it comes to really trying to understand this this book, especially the book of Revelation, but really all prophecy in general. You've got to be a student of the Word. You have to have a full working knowledge of the whole Bible. And if I can't encourage any of you to do anything else throughout this whole study, it's to make this a goal and a journey for you to begin to dig deeper into the Scriptures, use the tools that are available to us in our uh, culture today. We have so many resources. We have so many tools that that are helpful for us. Use those things and go on your own journey and test everything that I say by the Scripture. Okay, and so don't just take my word for it, obviously, but test the things that are being shared from this pulpit and test them and filter them through the scripture. And that's going to help you be able to get a better handle. And I expect you to do that as uh, our people, because your responsibility for anybody that stands in this place at this church, you're to hold me what? Accountable to the word of God. And when there are areas of disagreement or maybe you don't see things quite the same, I I love for you to share those things with me and maybe shoot me an email and say, hey, what about this? Or I don't really see it that way. What do you think about this? And I'm I'm, I'm more than happy to respond and and prove that I'm right about everything anyway. So it doesn't really, no, no, I'm serious. No, I'm just, I'm I'm really just being serious. No, but I'm just joking. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm not right, okay? I'm not right about everything unless my wife might tell me something different about that. So anyway, just want you to hear me out, right? Just hear my heart in this, guys, because anytime you're studying prophecy, right, it's just, it's just kind of sticky, and it's, it gets complex, and it can get kind of complicated in those kind of things. So I'm going to do my very best, and that's why I felt like we needed a whole session today just to kind of get our, our sea legs, to get our groundwork laid down before we're ready to jump into what is probably the most uh, interesting and yet uh, difficult part of the book of Revelation to study. Amen? Amen? All right. The seven seals of Revelation. So if you were with us last week, I've tried to do my very best to give you guys my interpretation of what was happening in Revelation 5 with the throne room of the Lord in heaven, the new Jerusalem, uh, the Holy of Holies is the Father seated on the throne. The Son is at His right hand. This is the moment that Jesus takes the what? He takes the scroll from the hand of the Father, okay? So the Father gives Jesus the the revelation of Jesus, and he's basically saying at this moment, now go and do and accomplish and fulfill everything that has been written, and it's time for you to do that. Rise up and go reclaim the earth again. And so we spent some time last week looking at this idea of the scroll, okay? So just as a little bit of a, uh, to, to set the context and to, and to, and to you know, lay a little bit of groundwork from what happened last week, remember that it says in Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, singular, one scroll. And then it was uh, written within and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. So, so hear me on this. The seals are part of the what? The scroll, that you can't separate those two things together because the seals are wax seals representing the scroll, the one scroll, and we'll begin to tear those seals. We'll begin to see what happens when Jesus tears those seals 
next week. But then look at what it says. It says, Jesus, who is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome, so he is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals. And we, we spent some time last week talking about what is this scroll. And so your first, and, and again, I see some of you guys, that's, you're more than welcome to come up and grab a, a listening guide if you don't have one. We, we, keep, we try to keep listening guides up here for those who'd like to stay uh, with, the, with the message. But this is my first point I want to share with you. There is only one scroll that is sealed with seven seals, which means that the entire prophecy, all of future prophecy that's in this book is contained within the what? Within the scroll. This is something that people miss all the time. They, they, they try to separate the seals and trumpets and bowls and all these other things. They try to make them all separate events, in, in which to, to some extent, yes, there's some distinguishing factors that go into these things. But the thing that we have to remember is that the Father has the scroll. This is all of future prophecy, 6 through 22. Revelation 6 through 22 is contained where? In that scroll. So he's going to give the scroll to Jesus, and as he begins to tear the scroll, it begins to unravel and, and unfold so that we can get the full picture. The, remember, the number seven, how important the number seven is in this study. What does number seven mean? Completion. We get the complete picture of the final end of the age, the final last seven years of human history leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, And so it's very important that we are reminded this morning that there is only one scroll. And so I look at the book of Revelation as being revealed in a prophetic pattern. There are themes and common phrases and symbols and cross-references that are contained in the book that give us this overview, this overall big picture of the final week of human history, which is called, again, we'll get to that in a second, the 70th week of Daniel. And guys, just don't, don't get overwhelmed when I talk about all these things. These things are not very complicated to understand if you'll just, just think on them, listen to me, and, and just try to, try, to, try to take it in and then go do your study. It's not that complex. We make prophecy much more complex than it has to be, okay? And so there's only one scroll. So again, everything is in the scroll. I, I think this is probably the best representation of what I think the scroll would look like. Again, this is just me. I'm, I'm just, this, I can't prove this. But as you see, the scroll is staggered. So as you break one seal, you can only read that portion of the scroll. And then as you break the next seal, it unrolls a little bit more. And you can't get the full scroll to unravel to read it on the front and the back until you break the what? The seventh seal, which lets us go deeper to look at the details behind what was happening in the first six seals. And that's kind of the way I approach this book. Now, there's probably people in this room that don't, don't see it that way. That's okay. I have a microphone. You don't, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I got to have fun with this stuff because it, it, people get so worked up about this stuff and, like, you know, so many fights about prophecy and stuff. We can't fight over this stuff. Again, just I'm going to share it from my perspective. That's all I'm trying to tell you. If you don't, that's fine. And, and I love to talk about it and discuss those things, but I'm going to try to do my best to share it to how I see it and where I came to these conclusions. And that's what I see the purposes of the scroll. Okay? And so it's very important that we have a handle on what this scroll is. Now, let's talk about a big word. Everybody say hermeneutics. Does anybody know what hermeneutics is? Okay, it's an art and a science. It's how we what? Interpret scripture. And I'm bringing my hermeneutic, my particular art and interpretation of scripture to this study. And not everybody has, shares the same hermeneutic. There are some people 
who believe that everything written in the book of Revelation has already happened, is fulfilled in the past. There are people that believe that. I mean, I'm talking about scholars, men that have studied the Bible for years, taught in the church for years. They just think it's all past. It's all basically symbolic. They spiritualize everything. There's really nothing to look forward to. I reject that what? Hermeneutic. I reject that. Okay, I don't think you can prove that in really any form, shape, or fashion. But again, even for those who believe in future prophecy of the book of Revelation, there's a lot of different approaches. And so I just want you to make sure that you understand that this is how we look at the Scripture and how we interpret the Scripture. Okay? My biggest interpretive tool that I use is this. We must let Scripture interpret Scripture. We must let Scripture interpret Scripture. As I told you at the beginning of this study, the book of Revelation has over 400 direct references to other passages in the Bible and over 800 allusions to other books and passages in the Bible. So you have to have a a big working knowledge and a grasp or at least have the desire to want to go into books like Zephaniah and Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi and Ezekiel and Daniel, books that people hadn't studied for years. Well, if you don't know anything about those books, the book of Revelation is not going to make a lot of sense to you. And so you got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And that's kind of the way that I approach this book. Now, let's talk for a minute about prophetic patterns, okay? Now, the way that the Hebrew mind works... Give me a second. The way that the Hebrew mind works... All right, so the Old Testament was written by the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, we call them Israel. We call them the Jews. And this is very important. They interpreted prophecy much differently than we probably do it in the West today. Like the way we would kind of look at prophecy is say, okay, God made a prediction here, and then he turned around and fulfilled it in the future here. That's not the way that... Hebrew thought or biblical thought is um, put together when it comes to predicting prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible is all about patterns. It's all about patterns. So when you see a pattern, then you can turn around and say, okay, this was a pattern that we saw happen in the past. So then we take that same pattern and we overlay it to what's going to happen in the future. And when those things are overlaid on top of each other, then you begin to see the fuller meaning. Perfect example. Listen to this. In, in Matthew uh, chapter 2, it talks about Mary and Joseph and Jesus going to Egypt. Because who's trying to kill them? King Herod. And they're warned in a dream, go to Egypt. Stay safe until Herod dies and then what? Come back. Well, in Matthew 2, Matthew quotes from Hosea chapter 11. Listen to what he says. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. That passage in Hosea 11 was talking about the nation of Israel. But Matthew took that, remember, out of the Exodus. When the nation of Israel went to Egypt, God delivered them out of the Exodus, brought them to the Promised Land. But Matthew turns around and interprets that passage as applying to who? Jesus as a child. Which is true. Was it the nation or was it Jesus? Both. That's called a prophetic what? A pattern. And I mean, there's just, I mean innumerable of these in the scripture. I mean, I can't even begin to, 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 to let you know how many of these patterns are seen in the, in the, in the Bible as a whole. The, the whole Exodus event. 
I believe we're going to see many of the same patterns of the Exodus replay themselves during the Great Tribulation. I think there's going to be a second Exodus. I think I can give you very good biblical um, data and, and uh, evidence for the fact that it's, a lot of these things are going to play out the very same way they did in history because God, the way he works, is through prophetic patterns. Now, how many of you guys like to put puzzles together? Anybody in the room? Got a few. You ever throw the top of the box away before you start? <laughs> Wouldn't get very far, would you? You see, what we have with the book of Revelation is like a what? It's like a puzzle. And guess what? God was so good to tell us the end of the story. We have the what? We got the box top. The box top is Jesus comes from heaven, kills the Antichrist, destroys the enemies on the earth, and establishes his what? Kingdom. There's the resurrection and all that's all tied in there. That's the end of the what? End of the story, right? That we got the end of the story. Everybody agrees that that's the end of the story. So we have the box top. So our job as good biblical students is to put the what? Put the puzzle pieces together. And look, guys, if it doesn't fit, don't what? Don't force it. And I see so many people are like, man, I, I already had this preconceived notion. It's got to fit. It's got to fit. And then you end up just tearing the puzzle pieces together because you're forcing something that doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, don't force it. That means it's probably not right. And that's this beautiful journey that we have as Bible students to, to take the puzzle pieces. And God wants us to take this journey because you start seeing how he put all this together before the foundation of the world. Remember what he said? I declare the end from the beginning. That's how God works. So I'm giving you some illustrations today to help you see how I approach the Bible. Who loves the mountains? Man, I love the mountains. I'd rather be at the mountains than the beach. When you're looking at a, when you're looking at a, a mountain view, okay, you see a lot of things. And have you, have you ever been driving, especially in the Rockies or in the, in the big mountains, and you think, man, you know, I just want to go to that, that other side of that mountain right over there. It won't take long. It's just, a, it's just right over there. And then you start driving, and then like three hours later, you're still driving. You're like, man, we still hadn't reached the mountain. Like, it's too far in the distance. And that's the way biblical prophecy works many times. It's like us looking at a mountain from this angle, and we see it from this angle, and it looks very what? It looks very close. But then, and there may be a, a, a fulfillment that happened in the past. There may be a, an immediate fulfillment that did happen, okay, but those are just partial. But then as you look past the first view of the mountain, you're looking to the higher mountain, which is the future what? The future fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment, okay? And so when you're looking at prophecy... Many times you're looking at this mountain view and you see immediate fulfillments, things that may have happened partially in the past, but it's always pointing us to what? To the future when Jesus comes to fulfill all of these things once and for all. So that's called prophetic telescoping. You need to be familiar with that. Now here's the next thing I want you to understand about biblical prophetic patterns and how we should measure time from a, a biblical perspective. Time is not just like a timeline in God's economy. Like this is, we look at time like a timeline. You draw an arrow, right? And you got one, two, three, four, and then there's the end. Biblical prophetic patterning is like a what? It's like a spiral. It's like a funnel. I'll give you a better picture. Who remembers these things at the mall? You drop the coin in, and it starts out on the what? 
the outside, and it starts to what? It just winds slowly, but then it starts to get in the tunnel of that funnel, and it what? It goes really, really, really fast until it falls into the, the, you know, the chamber below. Guys, that's the way time is moving right now. Because if you were to draw a line through that, that funnel or that spiral, sometimes those things overlap as they go through that funnel. And we're moving in this direction where things are spiraling, they're funneling this way. And then when we hit the Great Tribulation, what's going to happen? It's going to start moving so fast. The acceleration is going to happen so fast right before Jesus returns that we're not going to be able to keep up. It's going to be spiraling so fast. When I started looking at prophecy 15 or so 20 years ago, you could find one or two stories in the news about things that were kind of on the, on the prophetic calendar, right? Today, can't keep up. There's stuff happening every day. We cannot keep up with all the things that are happening. That means things are starting to move what? Faster, okay? So you need to understand this is biblical prophecy. Now, I want to talk to you real quick about birth pains. Birth pains is probably the primary tool or the primary illustration that God uses in Scripture, okay, to describe the prophetic pattern of the last days. I'm going to give you some very good Scriptures to let you see what I mean by that, but we know that Jesus, in His sermon on the mount, He used the term, what? Birth pains, Okay, so let's, let's talk about this real quick because I think this is very, very important for us to understand. All right, Matthew 24. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came and said, Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is what? Not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning... Of birth pains. Jesus is trying to give us a clue as to how we can interpret the end of the age and what I call, again, the, the tribulation or, the, or the, really the great tribulation period. Okay? Mothers out there. Interesting, right? You find out that you're pregnant. You know you got about how many weeks? 40 weeks. Okay? Now, here's what's cool about it. Do you know the exact day or hour you're going to go into hard labor? Sure don't. But you got a pretty good indication of the what? The due date. I mean, unless the baby comes early, which I think in this case, God is always right on time. But unless the baby comes early, you know you got about nine months or 40 weeks, right, to expect the birth of your child. And you're going to be uncomfortable and those kind of things. And then how many of you ladies out there have ever had your, your Braxton Hicks, right? Anybody ever had that? Okay. That's kind of a false alarm. So you're getting close. You're in that 40, you know, 37, 38, 39 week period. But you kind of think you're starting to have what? Contractions. And you call your doctor. And you call your mom. And you call your husband. And you're like, okay, I think this is it. And you go to the hospital. And they're like, nah, this ain't it. 
Go back home. Okay? Let me tell you my interpretation. COVID 2020, I think it's kind of like some Braxton Hicks a little bit. False alarm, but you better be what? You better be ready. You know why I think that? Because the first time in human history, COVID 2020, it was on a global scale. We've never seen that happen before. A lot of people ask me, is this the mark of the beast? Is this the end? Is it, are the seals being broken? I don't think the seals are being broken. We'll talk about that in a second. But I do think the global nature of COVID-2020 was kind of God's way of getting our attention. Wake up a little bit. Your life can change just like that. Okay? False alarm. We're not going into hard labor just yet. But you know as a mother that when contractions do begin, what's, what's the thing that's going to happen? Your contractions are going to grow more intense, more painful, and more frequent. They're going to be closer together. And all of this, guys, is leading you to what? The birth of a child. So why is it that Jesus is trying to help us get a lesson from life, a biological life lesson about labor pains, and he's saying just like it would be in the days before the coming of the Son of Man, it's going to be like giving birth. Let me give you some other scriptures. Look at what he said in John 16. He says, truly, this is right before Jesus went to the cross. He says, truly, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. and You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Ladies, I will always 100% say you are much stronger than men. 100%. There's no way I could ever begin to think about what you go through just through the process of hard labor. Some, some mothers don't survive hard labor. Some of them die through labor. Like it's an intense, just a physically just strenuous process, right? It is tough on a lady, on a mother. And Jesus is like, I understand. He says, you have sorrow during that hour because your hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby... She no longer even remembers all the pain and anguish because what? The joy that a human being has been born into the world. Amen. And I'm not a mother and I haven't experienced that, but from what I hear, when you go through all of that, and, I've, and then you know it must be amazing when a mother says, I'd do that again. <laughs> right? If you say, I'd go through all that again just so that I could hold this precious little baby in my arms again. That is powerful, right? Look at what Jesus said. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Amen. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from me. Guys, what is Jesus telling us? A baby's going to be born at the end of the hard labor. And when that baby is born, it's a comparative illustration to tell us who's the baby it's Jesus when he returns to the earth as king of kings and lord of lords no matter how difficult the days and how terrible the hard labor of tribulation it is that we go through he's saying you'll forget all of that because I'm what I'm here I'm with you now I will see you again now wouldn't it be weird if Jesus was born before the tribulation ever started that wouldn't be right, right? Like, how would a mother give birth in the first trimester or the first month? It doesn't work that way, does it? Jesus comes at the end of the hard labor. He says it right here. That's, he's using birth pains as an illustration, as an analogy. 
He doesn't come in the middle of the pregnancy. He doesn't come at the beginning of the pregnancy. He comes at the end of the pregnancy after you go through the hard labor. These things are very, very important for us to understand. Look at what Isaiah says. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. Psalm 48, look at what it says. For behold, the kings assembled. They came together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as if a woman in labor. That's when Jesus comes back. The kings of the earth will assemble themselves against Jesus at Jerusalem. And when he comes, they will be in anguish. They will mourn. They're going to call for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of the Lamb. Because he's coming. Romans 8, probably one of the best passages we see. Look at, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Again, using that same language. And we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Listen, the redemption of our what? When does the redemption of our bodies take place? At the resurrection. The resurrection happens at the last day, on the last day at the end of the age. That's when we rejoice, when all of the labor pains and the groaning of all of creation is brought to an end when Jesus comes back. That's what this is talking about. I could go on and on and on. First Thessalonians 5, again, labor pains will come upon them as a pregnant woman. Uh, I could share all these things together, but i got to move on. So let's look now at John's vision itself. Okay, I'm going to give you some more illustrations because if you read carefully in the book of Revelation, here's what you're going to see. And then I saw. And then I saw. And then I what? I saw. John is what? He is seeing these things with his eyes. It's a visual prophecy. Don't miss this. He's probably looking at a lot of different screens per se. So he's looking at this screen, and the Lord has the play button pushed, and he's seeing all these things happen. He's trying to take it all in, and then the Lord pushes pause and says, Now, come over here. I want you to see this. And now, come over here. I want you to see this. It's like a production studio. And he's seeing these things visually unfold. Okay? That's one possible uh, example. Here's the next example. Anybody ever seen this movie? Dennis Quaid. It's a good movie. Uh, you know, there are a few good movies out there, okay? Very simple. Let me tell you how it goes. At the beginning of the movie, there's a huge explosion and a man is assassinated. And then they go through the whole rest of the movie showing that explosion to find out who, who done it, right? It's a whodunit movie. They go through all the different vantage points from everybody that was there, but it all ends at the same time. It all ends with the explosion, that, that's what John's going through here. He's seeing these visions from all these different vantage points, but it's all pointing to the what? To the same thing. Okay, we need to be able to understand the book of Revelation in this way. Some say it's kind of like nesting dolls. As you kind of pull one doll open, then there's what? More inside, and then you open that one, and there's more inside, and you open it. Just kind of, it's layered on top of layered. This is one of my favorite illustrations. Who's a Toy Story fan out there? Buzz Lightyear, right? Do you know when they start an animated film, they can do the entire storyboard with sketches? So you can tell the story, you can tell the whole movie, the plot, the, every, the characters, just through sketches. 
That's kind of like what the seals are. They're just sketches. They're rough sketches of the big picture. But then you come in and you put a little more detail. And then you come in and you color it. And then you animate it and add some music to it. And you have a full motion picture. That's how the book of Revelation is to be understood and interpreted. Again, this is, this is the way I understand and interpret it. Okay? So these are things that are very helpful. Now, we got who, who loves our cake eaters out there? Right? Now, a layered cake, you've got to cut through the what? You've got to cut through the whole thing to get the full flavor. So the book of Revelation is like a layered cake. I like this one as well. How many of you go to the fireworks display? How bizarre would it be for all the fireworks to go off at the very beginning? For the finale to take place at the beginning? No, we know there's coming a what? The big finale. We kind of, is that it? Was that it? No, that wasn't it. They're, they're still going, right? And that's the way the book of Revelation is. That you have these big explosions. You have these big, you know, beautiful displays of color. But we all know that there's a finale. There's an ending coming. Okay, and then here's probably my favorite. It's kind of, I'm a baseball guy. I was a journalist by trade, and I'm a baseball guy. Okay, picture this real quick. Stay with me, guys. This is important. Okay, even if we don't get through everything, I don't care. We'll come back and pick up next week. But listen to me. I'm a journalist, and I love baseball. The book of Revelation is kind of like the game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, Satan's pitching. He's on the mound. The beast is on the mound. He's trying to strike. He's trying to win the game. And we hadn't seen Jesus the whole series. Maybe he's hurt or something. We don't know. And then at the very last minute, the coach calls who to come out of the dugout to get to bat? Here comes Jesus. Oh, the crowd's going wild. Here comes Jesus. He stands at the plate. Bottom of the night. Two outs. Bases loaded. We know the end of the story. He, he, he delivers the fastball. And Jesus cranks one out of the stadium. Ball game. World Series is over. We win it all. Satan is defeated. He's crushed. Now, you go read the Sports Illustrated article the next day. Who's going to be on the cover? Jesus. He just won the game. He hit the Grand Slam. But as you read the article itself, they may mention that Grand Slam three or four different times. Is it going to be in a strict chronological order when you read that article? No. They may, talk, they may have a side story about one of the players on the team. They may talk about game six, game seven. They may fill in all the different details when you read the story. But we all know how the story ends. That's what I'm trying to get to you to understand how to read the book of Revelation. You can't read it just in a strict chronological order. It will not make any sense. So you've got to learn how to bring more to the table when you begin to interpret this. All right, let's, ask, let's answer a couple of questions. I get questions like this all the time. Have the seals been broken? Short answer, I do not believe so. Okay? I'll tell you why. Look at, look at what it says. We'll, we'll go to the book of Daniel here in just a second. The Lord instructed Daniel to seal up his vision and prophecy until the What? Appointed time of the end. Now, why do I mention Daniel? Uh, because Jesus did. Do y'all know of all the prophets that Jesus could have pointed us to in his teaching? In Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says this, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Jesus wants us to go and find out what 
Daniel has to say. If you don't study any old other Old Testament book to go along with the book of Revelation, you've got to study Daniel. Because in the book of Daniel, look at what it says. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. He has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. Jesus quotes this directly in Matthew 24. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found in the book of life, written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the resurrection. Okay? Look at what it says. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Hey, guys, if we're studying this book and we're not turning other people to righteousness... Sharing the gospel and being witnesses, we are wasting our time. just want to say that because Daniel puts these things together and says we should be wise and we should be telling other people about what's going on. But look at what he tells Daniel. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until what? The time of the end. I think there's a direct connection to what Daniel was given in his vision that has been sealed to what now we see in the book of Revelation that's being what? Opened and unsealed. Seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And then someone said to the man clothed in linen, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And Daniel says it will be a time, times, and half a time. Now stay with me, guys. This stuff's important. There's a time period in the Bible that's described more than any other time period in Scripture. It's called the Great Tribulation. It lasts three and a half years. 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, time, time, half a time. It all is talking about the same thing. It's important that you understand this, okay? Y'all need to stay with me. He says, it will be when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. And he tells him again, Daniel, for the words shut up are to be shut up and sealed until what? The time of the end. Here's my perspective, guys. When, when God says that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, I don't think that has anything to do with flying globally in an airplane across the, the earth. A lot of people think that means, okay, we're going to live in a day where we're going to be able to go all around the world going to and fro and knowledge will increase. I think what Daniel is telling us right there is this. As the time approaches near the time of the end, we're going to be going... To and fro in the what? Oh, there it is. Wait a minute. There it is. Oh, that makes sense. Let me go back to Genesis. Now I see it. See, we're going what? Back and forth in the scripture and our knowledge will increase. These things are beginning to be unsealed. It's getting near that time. And if we're not digging into the scriptures, we're not going to be wise. We're not going to understand. We're not going to be ready and prepared to know what's going on. Because God told Daniel, you got to seal these things up. Because it's not for you or your generation to understand. It's for the generation at the time of the end. Which I do believe we are living in. Alright, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend just a little more time. And we're going to, I'm going to introduce you today to Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. And I'm going to spend time here because if you don't have a good foundation, then, again, you're not going to understand really anything that's happening in the book of Revelation. 
So we probably won't finish this message today, and that's fine with that, okay? But we're going to pick it up wherever I leave off. All right, so let's look at this. The opening of the seven seals, which we're going to get into, and maybe not next week, but the next. It provides critical details about Daniel's 70th week. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? What is this 70th week stuff? Okay, it's basically, let me keep it simple. It's the final seven years of, the, of human history. Are y'all tracking with me? There's a designated time that God has designated on in his word that says a clock is going to start. And when that clock starts, we have how long? Seven years. It's all going to come to a conclusion at the end of that seven years. Jesus is coming back at the end of that seven years. Clock's going to start. You got seven years. Okay? Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time breaking down this chart right here. That was supposed to be a joke, really. <laughs> Have you ever seen these? Unbelievable, right? The first, first problem with this chart is that it says revelations, plural. You can chunk it out the window right now. Okay, it's not revelations as a pet peeve. It's what? The revelation. There's one revelation. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, don't waste your time with this stuff, okay? This is my chart. All right, I'm going to try to keep it very, very simple. I'm going to spend a minute here, and then we're going to go on. You may not be able to see that very well. These will be in your notes if you have the PDF file. But everybody's got to have a chart, right? And so, you know, I said, I'm going to make my own chart. So this is basically it. You can see where the clock starts. That's the beginning of the seven years. The middle point is the abomination of desolation. We're going to talk about that in a minute if we have time. That's when the Antichrist steps into the temple in Jerusalem and declares himself to be... God and goes on a murdering spree, killing everybody in his sight that won't worship him. That's what the abomination that causes desolation is all about. That's at the what? Middle of these 70 years. I mean, of these seven years. We call the next three and a half years the Great Tribulation. There's some things that are happening in that period. You got two witnesses. You got the wilderness journey. You got the beast kingdom that's all wrapped up in that time. You got the trumpets and the bowls that are in the Great Tribulation. And then the arrow pointing down... There's four facets to that. Return, rapture, resurrection, and reward. All of those things, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the saints on the last day, the rapture of the church, and the rewarding of the saints all takes place at the end of that seven years. And then we go into the millennial kingdom. So that's kind of very simple. It's, it's not overly complex and, you know, make you stress out and all this kind of stuff. I'll try to keep it very simple. You guys take time to go and look at that, but it will kind of serve as a guide for us as we begin to, because you, you do want to kind of have a feel. Where does this fit in the timeline? Okay, and, and I think I'll try to do my best to help you understand where these things fit in the timeline. Okay, real quick. These are your three main views of, I mentioned the rapture. I got to mention it here. These are the three main views. One view says the rapture takes place at the beginning of the seven years. One view says that it takes place where? In the middle. That's called mid-tribulation. You know, mid and then the view that I personally hold is post-tribulation, where the rapture is the same time of the resurrection. It's the same time as the return of Jesus. It's at the what? At the end. And then some people say, I'm a pan-tribber, and I don't care as long as it all what? Pans out. Okay? 
I don't think that's wise, but you can say that's fine if you want to just if you want to put it that way. Okay, let me tell you my number one reason why I hold to the fact that the rapture takes place at the end of the Great Tribulation, at the end of the seven years. The rapture and the resurrection of the dead go what? If you can prove to me that the, the resurrection of the dead, when our bodies get resurrected from the grave, is when Jesus what? When he comes back, when he returns. Every scripture in every passage of scripture in the Bible that speaks of the rapture is always connected to the what? The resurrection. They are one in the same event. So if the resurrection takes place at the end, then also the rapture takes place at the end. In other words, all the rapture is is the resurrection for people who are still alive. That's all that it is. It's all the same. Okay? So these are the three models. You can work off those models if you want to. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, then really nothing that I say from this point forward has any relevance to the church because we're not going to be here. That's the way I see it. I don't hold that view. That's why I think it's relevant to where we are. Okay? And again, there's lots of disagreement about that, and you're going to probably get tired of hearing me talking about it, but I think it's very, very important, and it's going to determine your hermeneutic. Okay? All right. We're going to finish right here. 70 weeks. This is probably one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture. I'm going to cover this right here, guys. If y'all stay with me, this lays the groundwork for everything else that we're fixing to do in the book of Revelation. Turn to Daniel 9. Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined. Daniel receives a vision. He has a series of visions. This is a very important one. Now, first thing I got to clarify is that in Hebrew, a week can mean either a week of days or a week of years. Some of y'all say, what? It's not complicated. Just understand it can mean seven days or it can mean what? Seven years. In this case, it means seven years. Okay, a week is a week a, a, a grouping of seven years. So there's 70 weeks, 70 times seven years. Who can do the math? 70 times seven. 490 years. Okay, this is basically what God is telling us. He's trying, and I'm going to tell you why this is so important in a second. He says, there's 490 years I have decreed to bring it all to an end. 490 years. And you're like, okay, what in the world? Look at the things that he's, gonna, he's promised to do. And it's for your holy people, Israel, and for your holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. You need to keep your eyes on Jerusalem. All these things are fixed and focused around the city of Jerusalem. So 490 years, he says this, I'm going to finish the transgression. I'm going to make an end of sins. Has God made an end of sins yet? Not really. For those of us who are in Christ, yeah. But has he brought sin to an end? Nah. Not completely. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Has that happened yet? No. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Very important. We don't have time to get into those things. Now look at what he says. Now remember, 409 years. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. Who's that? That's Jesus. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay. Seven plus 62 is 69. Okay. So how many weeks were there at the beginning? 70. He's saying there's going to be 69 weeks. 
until who comes? Jesus. Okay? The street will be built and the wall, even in troublesome times. But after these weeks, Messiah will be cut off. When did that happen? Jesus went to the what? He was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus went to the cross, but not for himself. Who did he die on the cross for? For us. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then the people of the prince who's to come, this is a whole other prince. We'll get to him later. They'll destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will be with the flood until the end of war and desolations are determined. And so let me just show you this real quick. This is fascinating to me. So if you're, if you're getting bored, I'm sorry. This is fascinating. From the issuing of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, that happened in 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes of Persia. He said, hey, Jews, you can leave and go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Build the wall, Nehemiah. We know the story, right? From that time until Jesus would be cut off would be 69 weeks. In other words, 483 years. To the day that King Artaxerxes gave that decree in 445 B.C., to the day in 32 A.D., Jesus comes riding in on Jerusalem on a what? On a donkey. Fulfilling the prophecy. This was the week of his crucifixion. He, he came in on Palm Sunday, if you want to call it that. And to the day, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy because the prophecy says that there will be 69 weeks and then the Messiah will be what? Cut off and killed. And that's exactly what happened. And then God pushed pause. And now how many weeks are left? One week. How long is a week? Seven years. And my best interpretation is that when the Jewish people are back in the land and they are fulfilling control over the land and they have now control over Jerusalem, is that whenever the Jews have the opportunity to re reinstitute their sacrificial system and they have more authority in Israel, I think that that's when he's going to what? He's going to push the clock again. He's going he's to push the clock again and the seven years will begin. We haven't seen that yet, but it's coming. And that's what the final seven years is all about. But let me just share something with you real quick about this first visitation. Look at what Jesus says. This is fascinating to me, and I'm going to have to finish right here. When Jesus came and he came to Jerusalem and he wept over it, guys, look at what he says. Would that you even had known on this day the things that make for your peace, but they are now hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you and your enemies will barricade around and they will hem you in on every side and tear down, tear you down to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let me tell you what Jesus was saying. You had Daniel chapter 9. And the Lord told you when I was coming. 69 weeks to the very day who comes through the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus and he's weeping. He's weeping over the city because they didn't what? They didn't get it. They weren't paying attention. They didn't recognize the time of Jesus' visitation. And my biggest concern for the church today is that he's given us all these other signs, and especially the signs of the last seven years of human history, the time of the Great Tribulation. He's given it all to us in Scripture. And how many people in Christians are going to miss the time of his second visitation? Because they're not paying attention. 
That's what this is all about. Now, again, I could get into so much more detail, but we're going to spend more time here next, next week. And I don't know how the rest of it's going to go, to be honest with you guys. Because I'm trying to be respectful of your time, and I know that there's only so much you can take in in one week. But we're going to pick up here next week and go a little bit deeper because there's some other things that I want to share with you about an overview of these seals before we actually get into them. So I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. And we're going to sing one more song. But I just want, to, I want you guys to hear me in this. I'm going to finish with this. Don't forget about the labor pains. If, there, if there's one illustration that we can all agree with, Jesus said it will be like giving birth. It'll be like labor pains. Who's the baby that we're waiting for? It's Jesus. What's it going to be like right before he comes? It's going to be hard, y'all. It's going to be hard labor. It's going to be intense contractions. The whole earth is going to be convulsing at one time. All of hell is going to break loose. All the powers of heaven are going to be shaken. All of God's people are going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the worst time in human history. But what Jesus is reminding, don't look at the labor. You know, when, I'm, when you have a pregnant wife, you don't sit around saying, man, baby, that labor sure is going to be tough, isn't it? You don't say that, do you? What do you constantly remind yourself? A baby's coming. I can't wait to meet our new baby. That's what we focus on. Don't focus on the hard labor. It's coming. We've got to go through it. It's going to be real. It's going to be intense. Don't focus on that. Focus on who? Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He is our joy. He is our hope. He is our blessed hope. That's the, that's the illustration that, that we need to take away from this lesson. Now, some of this stuff's going to get technical. Some of this stuff's going to be very intense and in-depth, but that's the way it's got to be. So we got to dig in together. We're going to get through this together. Amen? Hang in there, guys. We'll finish up next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. I pray that as we begin to lay some of this groundwork, Lord, it wouldn't be overwhelming, but I pray it would be freeing that we would begin to look to the heavens, lifting up our eyes to the heavens to know that our redemption is drawing near. Thank you, Jesus, for all your many blessings. Thank you for being faithful and for giving these things ahead of time, for showing us your word and your prophecies ahead of time so that we would be informed and wise and know and be able to pay attention and see the signs of the end and, and be ready for your coming, Lord. And in the meantime, help us just to be light and salt, salt of the earth. Help us to love others. Help us to share the love of Jesus. Help us to shine the light of Christ wherever we go because the days are evil. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Hey, guys, let's stand.